Hey friends, it's Vadim. I'm recording this intro on Christmas Eve 2020. And I want to wish you and your families a very happy and healthy holiday season. It's been a very strange 2020, right? I think for everybody across the board, that's safe to say. So first and foremost, I hope that everybody is staying healthy and continues to stay healthy. That is obviously the most important thing. This recording stuff is just the cherry on top of life uh, that hopefully we all get to enjoy. This is also the first year that we've done the podcast. We started in January of 2020, so we've been reflecting a lot on that. It's really been a blast. And one of the things that's kind of been the most fun, I shouldn't say that. It's all been fun. But one of my favorite things has been Uh, People reaching out to me, listeners reaching out to me uh, and to Ben through email or through Instagram and just saying hi and uh, chatting about their projects or about their gear or whatever else they want to chat about. It's been really a pleasant surprise. I'm somebody who, I think Ben and I are both people who kind of don't like social media that much. So it's nice to have these really pleasant personal interactions. I encourage you all to do that. Reach out to us. We love hearing from you. This is really something we're passionate about and um, we'll uh, we'll be interested in knowing what your experiences are and what's on your mind. I also want to just thank you. You know, this is a small podcast still. It's been growing, which we're super excited about. Uh, If you're listening to this in December of 2020, then you're still one of the, uh, you're still in the early crew, right? You're still one of the people who's heard about it in the early days. And we very much appreciate you guys listening to this because, well, if you didn't listen to it, then we probably wouldn't keep doing it. So <laughs> thank you for that. It's it's really been a treat. We have a lot of exciting stuff coming in the new year. We have uh, some partnerships that we're going to be announcing and um, also some some cool treats. And we've been in contact with some potential guests that are very exciting as well. I'm going to keep this train rolling into the new year. Today's episode is uh, like a back to basics episode, which as I say, we're going to, I think, do from time to time because we don't want to get, we don't want to get too heady on this podcast. We want to keep it accessible and useful for people who are, are newer to this craft. So today's episode is a deep dive into the anatomy of an interface. And you know, you might already think you know everything about your interface, but hopefully you can still pick up some some little bits here and there. At one point in this podcast, my audio cut out. It stopped recording, which is like, you know, terrible, terrible recording studio thing to happen when your audio cuts out in the middle of a take. So I'm probably going to cut in there and uh, record uh, some little bits, so don't be surprised if that sounds a bit uh, a bit jagged as you're listening. And again, just thank you guys for for your support. We look forward to another year of doing this. Oh, one more thing, we we may take uh, like a two week break, uh, probably between Christmas and New Year's, somewhere in there. We might take a one or two week break. So don't be alarmed or surprised if you don't see a new episode, perhaps. Uh, we just gotta gotta get off the treadmill for a little bit here and um, take some time. I do also want to say, if you're not in a Facebook group, then join up. Go to Facebook and search for DIY Recording Guys. You can join our community. We actually had a good discussion on there today with 
uh, one of our listeners, John, uh, who's talking about just recording nonstop. That guy's done like four albums in four years, I think. Or maybe it was four albums in one year. He's done a lot of recording. And he was saying like, look, I, you know, it's when do you take a break? Like, how do you know when to take a break? And we had some good discussion about that. And I want to just reiterate that a little bit to you guys. It, it is important to take breaks uh, for a lot of reasons. But if you're like me, you probably think that you can do this forever without a break. And you can't, trust me. And I know that some of you just have to find that out on your own. I certainly have to find that out on my own. Uh, but uh, getting to that burnout state is not fun because um, it's just kind of, it's just not fun. You kind of start questioning, like, what am I doing? Do I want to keep doing this? So give yourself a break. And uh, the discussion we had on there was, uh, I kind of mentioned this and I wanted to restate it here, that taking a break doesn't mean doing nothing. It means doing something different. So if you've been writing and recording nonstop, this is the holiday season, maybe take some time to work on some stems, right? Download some stems from the internet, join a mix contest, uh, buy a class, right? Watch how the pros do it and bring some new techniques into the new year, right? So then you can come back to things with kind of a fresh perspective, maybe brush up on your theory, maybe take a guitar lesson or drum lesson or whatever you want to do there. Uh, you will be surprised how much a break combined with some fresh skills, some fresh perspectives will supercharge your creativity. All right. I've rambled long enough. Enjoy the episode. I hope you have a very happy holiday. We'll see you next year. You are listening to the DIY Recording Guys podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production with your hosts, Fadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. All right, my friend. Welcome to winter. Did you guys get a bunch of snow? So much snow. Uh, my neighbor told me we got 14 solid inches. And I got to say, my back is hurting from all the all the shoveling that I did. But it's also worth it because just seeing our puppy outside just running around, oh, she yeah. is loving it so much. That's very cool. It's very cool. Um. Yeah, my, my dark secret is that I like shoveling snow. So that's your, so when some people say they like to, you know, chill and watch some Netflix, you're like, I'm going to go and shovel some snow. And go and shovel some snow. But specifically in the morning, I like to do it. There's something about, you know, in the winter, you don't get as many outdoor activities. And when there's a good snowfall and it's kind of quiet outside and yeah. the air is just really crisp and fresh. I don't. I don't mind. I don't mind heating up a little bit and uh, getting a sore back. That's okay with me. It's a little bit of exercise, a little bit of fresh air. And uh, last year, we didn't even have to shovel once. It was the first year ever. I I remember not having to shovel. So yeah, true. I'm happy. I'm happy. I got to shovel a bit this morning. It was nice. I was actually thinking about that a little bit after seeing your post in the DIY guy. Uh, DIY guys recording. Oh my, oh my gosh, the DIY recording guys community. <laughs> It's been a while, man. It's been like 40 episodes since you made that mistake. Oh, my goodness. Pretty um, good. Pretty good streak. Thank you. This show has gone zero days without an errant name calling. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta put, we'll put that sign up. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I saw you post about um, ways of staying fit, you know, or getting outside. And I actually was thinking about, you know, shoveling snow today. 
Yeah. And I was like, hey, this is a good way to like build some muscle and get outside and do something. Absolutely. Absolutely. You start, I end up like taking off layers too. You get warmed up a little oh, bit. Yeah. I got a big long sidewalk on the side of my house to do. So uh, yeah, man, it's uh, it's my, my, my wife always looks at me and rolls her eyes when I'm like, I like shoveling snow. I'm going to go out and shovel snow in the morning. She's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> stay in here. It's warm. <laughs> exactly. So what are we talking about today, man? Yes. So today we're doing a bit of a back to basics episode, which we'll, we'll do these from time to time. We realized like our show started off with the basics back in January of 2020. And then we've gotten into some really heady topics, which are a lot of fun to do. And we're going to keep doing that. But from time to time, we're going to go back and question ourselves and you guys, the listeners on the basics. So today we are talking about anatomy of the interface. You know, how well do you really know your interface? All of your interfaces, as we'll get into, you may Mm. have more than you thought you had. So I think um, let's maybe start with a quick review of the signal path through an interface so we can kind of understand what all the components are. We've talked about this back on like episode two, I think, intro to digital recording, right? But we talk about, uh, I like to think of an interface as the grand central station of your recording studio. So like yeah. you think about Grand Central Station in New York, this giant train station in New York City and kind of all of the train, maybe not all, but like most of the trains coming into and out of the city have to go through Grand Central. Yeah. And so in this case, the train is uh, our audio. So all of our audio that's coming into or out of our computer has to go through our interface. And Ben, you talk about it as uh, another analogy that's actually more less of an analogy and more of a definition. It's kind of like an external sound card. Maybe say a couple things about that. The reason I say that is because I can remember when I first got a computer for recording and I was so confused about, well, I don't know what an interface is, but I know everybody tells me I need one to do recording. So I foolishly bought an interface and I also bought a sound card because all the gamers were telling me, you got to get this really good sound card. <laughs> what I didn't yeah. realize was they're basically doing the same thing. Really, the only difference is that the interface is built to plug things into, specifically recording equipment. So it's kind of doing the same thing that a Sound Blaster sound card did back in the day when you plugged it into your computer to get high-definition right. sound. But a a sound card that you plug into your motherboard, it doesn't have all the connectivity that we would want in a studio. So that's why, in essence, you can forgo the sound card and have an external sound card, which we call an interface. Right. And actually, maybe can you define what a sound card does? Like, let's say in a video game context... When people get a better sound card or a different sound card, what is that sound card's scope within this this gaming process? What is it doing? That's a good question. I can't claim that I know all the answers to that, but what I would gather is that, so if you have something ex- external or something that's just dedicated to do one process, then you're freeing up your CPU from doing everything. In essence, you're you're kind of divvying up like all your tasks instead of having 
one super buff person that does all the tasks in your computer. You're saying, let me get some specialized people to do all these different tasks. And so you hire a helper. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that's okay. what a sound card is doing in your computer. You're you're specifically telling your computer through the motherboard, run all the audio through this specific card that will do all the processing. And then maybe you get some additional um, connective ports on the back so you can hook up different things to it. But gotcha. yeah, that's that's essentially what I'm guessing that a sound card does. And an interface just takes it another step farther with even more connectivity and things that are more appropriate for a studio recording situation. Right. So when we talk about our, our digital recording chain, we're talking typically about taking some kind of sound source, and that could be either an acoustic sound source or you know an electric sound source. We have to take that signal. We have to do a couple of things to it before we can get it into our DAW, which is then how we can process it. So this is where we're going to get into the different components that you might have in your interface. And most of them, you'll probably know what they do, but some of them, you may not know what they do. And hopefully there'll be some enlightening things, even for the veterans, the DIY Ooh. recording guys, veterans here. So we're going to start with the inputs. So you have some kind of inputs on your interface and the inputs allow you to connect something, some source into the interface, right? And so some the most common inputs that we see in a recording studio might be something like a microphone or something like an electric guitar, right? Those are probably the two most common ones. Another one might be like a keyboard output, right? And so our inputs on our interface have to be able to handle all of these different types of sources. So you do that through a, an input jack. So let's talk a little bit about the different types of input jacks you might see on an interface. This was confusing to me, actually, the first time I bought my first interface, which was a, a Scarlett 2i2, which I still have and love. So let's talk about these, these different things. So they have kind of different jacks, maybe, or different type ports. So let's start with a microphone. What's the most common microphone port you can think of, Ben? Well, on XLR. All right, this is where my audio cut out. So uh, what we talked about was some different ports and specifically there is a type of jack on the front of your interface called a combi jack, which is like a combination jack. And this just means that you can plug an XLR or a TS or possibly a TRS cable into it, which is basically a way for uh, interface companies to save money, save space, right? So instead of giving you a quarter-inch jack and then an additional XLR jack, because an XLR connector is fundamentally the same as a TRS connector, it's just three conductors, right? Like a T, uh, XLR cable has three pins, a TRS a uh, connector has three segments on the quarter-inch tip. So because they're fundamentally the same thing, they figured, well, we can just like wire this thing or set up the contacts in such a way that it can receive either connection type. So we talked about that for a little bit, and then we get into the different signal types, uh, line level, instrument level, and speaker level, which is where we pick up now. Yeah, so, so there's basically different standards. When we talk about level in general, for an electrical signal, we're basically talking about voltage, right? At the end of the day, if you were to take a little voltmeter and measure the signal, what we call like louder or a higher level 
means that basically you'd measure a higher voltage. And so I, the way I like to talk about this, you know, there's different standards. You'll hear like plus six yeah. volts, or whatever. like there's different standards. Don't worry about that. I like to explain it as think about there's three different levels, quote unquote, in audio, and they each have different voltage analogs, I guess. They'll, they'll have their own voltage standards, right? But for the sake of discussion, let's talk about it as a small, medium, large. Okay, there's three different levels. So the smallest level is this mic level or instrument level. That is a very, very weak signal that's coming off of a microphone. Because if you think about how a microphone works, like the microphone we're talking into is a dynamic microphone. Literally, it's working like a speaker in reverse. So this, our sound waves coming out of our mouth are vibrating this uh, coil, and that's generating a very weak electrical voltage that then is traveling down the wire and into our interface. So that is our weakest level signal. And um, you know the signal coming off of a guitar would kind of fall into that category as well. It's a really relatively weak signal. That, in that case, it's a guitar string vibrating in the magnetic field of the pickup, and again, generating a very weak voltage. The second level, the medium level, is line level. Line level is the level that's coming out of our preamp. So we haven't talked about preamps yet, but when we plug our weak signal point. into our interface, the preamp is the next bit of circuitry that our signal hits. That preamp then takes us from our small level to our medium level, which is now line level. All right. And then, Ben, you mentioned like something like a keyboard output or a drum machine output or a preamp output on your guitar amp might also be line level. Right, so that's line level. And then our final, our strongest signal is speaker level. And that's the level that's actually uh, strong enough to move a physical speaker, which takes a lot of electricity, right, to move a speaker and actually move air so that you can hear it. So there's something else that needs to happen. If you think about this in the context of like a guitar amp, you have all three of those signals. You have your mm. very weak instrument level signal coming off your guitar. It goes into the preamp, that bumps it up to the medium level signal, which is line level. Then it goes through the power amp, that bumps you up to the third level, the highest level, which is speaker level. And that power amp level is the only level that can move your cabinet, your speakers in your cabinet to actually make sound. So yeah, so you mentioned that most interfaces will have uh, selectable inputs. So you can tell your interface, hey, is this a line level signal I'm plugging in? or a mic level or instrument level signal. And you'll probably find, if you're confused about this, you can usually tell because if you if you selected instrument level and you plugged in a line level signal like your keyboard, what'll happen? It'll be way too loud. You'll be peaking. You'll be peaking. Even like if you turn the preamp knob all the way down, your signal will be really loud because you've told the preamp, hey, look for a really, really quiet signal and then it leaned in real close and it put its ear up to your <laughs> mouth and then you started shouting. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great analogy. I love that. Yeah. So so keep that in mind. So that's an easy mistake to spot um, on if you've selected the wrong one. If you did it the opposite way, if you said, hey, it's a line level signal and then you plugged your guitar into it, well, then you can crank the preamp and you're going to get a very, very, very faint signal, if anything at all. So that's how you know you'll, uh, you picked the wrong one there. All right, cool. So, so that's input types. Let's get into that preamp. So, what we we said what a preamp does, Ben. What's the preamp control that we have on our interfaces? Uh, it's the gain. 
Right. So talk us through that a little bit, uh, what that's doing and how we set it. So essentially, um, and this can get a little confusing as well, because I think that I didn't realize that my interface actually had a preamp on it because they kind of all package them into one nowadays. So you're very rarely going, I don't even know if you can find an, a modern interface that doesn't have a preamp built into it. Now, granted, well, it would be called, it would just be called a converter, I think, at that point. So like, gotcha. you, you oh, can buy okay, a converter, yes, yes. yeah. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Um, now, the reason to maybe get some different uh, external preamps that you would add on would just be for coloration. And I don't know if we want to get into that at all. But just, just talking simply about what a preamp is, it's taking a lower level signal and adding volume to it, adding voltage, getting it up to an appropriate level so we can adjust our gain to be at appropriate recording levels so that it's in the sweet spot. It's not so loud that we're worried about it peaking the signal, but it's not so quiet that we're going to get a lot of background and uh, our background noise whenever we turn it up when we're mixing or when we're balancing things in a recording session. Right. Yeah. So the, yeah, preamp is, is, it's like a megaphone, right? If you're like, it just takes your voice mm -hmm. in, in the case of a megaphone and makes it louder. So it's taking exactly what's coming out of your mouth, making it louder. So that's what a preamp is doing. And the, the preamp, the gain knob, I think is actually an attenuator knob. So like that preamp is taking your input level and it's, you know, making it louder by whatever. And then you can attenuate that. You can turn it down a little bit and oh, get okay. a level that you want to get. I think that's how it works. So yeah, you're right there. You know, there's really a sweet spot we want to find there. And we, we've talked about this, I think, on the uh, the bitrate episode. Um, but there is a sweet spot there, and you mentioned it already. In the days of analog tape, people would push their signals as loud as they could. The reason to push your signal louder has been what you said the reason why we don't want to keep our signal too quiet because at the at the very quiet levels we have what's called a noise floor some baseline level uh, some baseline level of noise that is unavoidable right we have electrical hum we have the fan running in the other room we have just noise electrical noise in our system so there's some noise level and we want to be high enough above the noise level that when we turn our signal up or when we process it the noise is negligible in the days of tape, when people were recording everything to tape, there was a lot of noise with tape. So people had to push their signal really loud to get above that noise floor. Fortunately, with digital recording, we don't have to worry about noise floor as much. So we like to have a little bit of what's called headroom, which means we want to set our preamp knob so that our recorded signal is somewhere around what minus 12 minus 9 maybe definitely no more than minus 6 um db away from full scale because we want to keep away from that clip ceiling i think you and i pretty much when we talk Agreed we, on we that. pretty much agree on those levels right yeah i i definitely so this is i think important to note or or just an observation i've made of myself over over the years of recording when I first started out, and I knew this about you know not pushing the signal too much because we don't want digital clipping. But when I started out, I definitely was pushing my level a lot more than I do now. And I think the reason is is because I realized that getting a better signal to noise ratio is not as critical as 
not clipping ever. And so often, I can't tell you the amount of times where I'll tell a drummer, okay, give me a hard hit on the snare drum. Okay, I've set the game. This is a great level. So you're peaking. You're hitting as hard as you can, and you're peaking at negative six. All of a sudden, they start playing. All the mics start peaking. Happens all <laughs> happens all the time. And so for that reason, I've definitely brought my volume of recording down three to six dB over the years. Yeah, and I, I have the same problem with vocals um, in my oh, yeah. studio. I'll, I'll tell I'll tell a vocalist like once they're warmed up, I'll be like, "All right, we're just we're not recording yet. Don't be nervous. Like we're just gonna set some levels. Give me the chorus, you know? Yeah. And like they're a little bit unsure because it's we're just starting and they're not a hundred percent warmed up. And so they give you the chorus and you set the levels. But then once they get to that chorus during the actual recording, they are two times as loud as yep. they were. So absolutely, you're right. You got to like give yourself that headroom uh, to make sure that you don't clip because clipping is kind of irreversible. And when we're recording at 24 bits, which everybody should be recording at 24 bit depth, uh, the noise floor is low enough that it's, it's basically negligible. So yeah, good, yeah. Uh, good point there. Cool. So you mentioned this already. The next step in our interface, this is also built into our interface, is the AD converter, the analog to digital converter. And this is what you said where, you know, you were saying like, is there such a thing as an interface without preamps? Yeah, I think that would be called a converter. And all a converter is doing is it's taking a line level signal, has to be line level, because it's got to be loud enough for the, the AD converter to work. And it's taking that analog signal and converting it to digital ones and zeros which is the language that our computers speak. So then we can get it into the computer. So like higher level uh, convert, higher level studios, bigger studios might have dedicated converters where they have a bunch of preamps, fancy preamps maybe. And then they're taking the outputs, the line level outputs of those preamps and routing them to the converter. And then the converter's only job is to convert to digital and mm. then back to analog. That makes sense. Yeah, most most interfaces these days have good converters. There used to be an issue with converter quality where like things like clock jitter and you could actually get artifacts in that conversion process that were a little bit unpleasant. This is still a little bit relevant as we're going to get into once we get into uh, the discussions of other things in your studio that may be interfaces that you're not aware of. But anyway, once we're uh, digital, now we have our digital output to the computer, which is usually either USB Firewire, Thunderbolt, or as we learned recently, uh, Ethernet. <laughs> Could yeah. be Ethernet, I guess. Um, so yeah, so now we're in the computer. We do a bunch of stuff, whatever we need to do. Now remember, it's a two-way street through that digital connection. We need uh, all the audio coming into and out of the computer needs to go through the interface. So then on the other side of that, you're doing the reverse process. You have a DA converter or digital to analog converter. And now we get to our outputs. Outputs are always interesting on an interface as well. Ben, what what are the common outputs that uh, you would expect an interface to have? So what I have connected right now are um, quarter inch to XLR. Uh, but you can also have XLR to XLR. And you can also have RCA, am I saying it correctly? Or uh, what's the other term for it? Oh, like, yeah, I think RCA. Like the, RCA, the, like, yeah. The old, like, VCR-type cables. <laughs> I don't think mine has that, but you, I have seen interfaces with them on it. Yeah, so most of the, most of the outputs are balanced outputs. Uh, so balanced outputs means that we have 
three connectors or three uh, conductors, rather. So this is where you said, Ben, you could have either an XLR connector, which has three conductors in it, or you can have a TRS quarter-inch jack, which is different than the TS guitar cable. The TS guitar cable, if you looked at that cable, it only has two little metal sections with one little divider. Mm. TRS has three metal sections and two dividers. And a TRS cable is literally the same. Like between the between the two g- plugs, it's literally the same thing as XLR, which is why you can buy a converter. Like in, in my studio, for example, my interface has quarter-inch uh, TRS outputs, line outputs for the monitors. But my monitors have XLR inputs. Yeah. So all I did was I bought a cable that has a TRS mm-hmm. plug on one side and an XLR plug on the other side. And problem exact. solved, those, those things play nicely. Exact same situation in my studio. Cool. Yeah, so those... That's that's a case where uh, there's no difference. It's just a different type of jack, but the, the the cabling and the the function is the same. So yeah, so we can have these analog outputs. Um, most of the outputs will be line level outputs, uh, which is important for certain things like if we talk about reamping, uh, which I don't know that we'll do that on this episode. We'll probably do a dedicated episode for that. But uh, we have things like outputs for our monitors. We may have a stereo output for headphones as well. Uh, what other kind of outputs would you possibly have? You could have an uh, auxiliary output, like a little eighth inch um, that would be stereo, basically like a headphone or what else could that be for? Yeah, like a headphone input. I don't know if you would see that on too many interfaces. It's definitely on my monitoring station. Oh, as an input, you're saying? Oh, are you saying inputs? I I heard outputs. Sorry. No, no, yeah, outputs. You're saying so the, an eighth inch output. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. I, um, I don't know about interfaces know. though. Yeah, no. Oh, yeah, that's that's a fair point. I, I was thinking like, first of all, you might have multiple outputs. You might be thinking like, what do I need? Yeah, like true. eighteen i twenty, right? Like, what do I need twenty outputs for, or whatever? <laughs> it doesn't really have twenty, but what does it have? Like, it comes with like eight. I think bat, it comes right? with eight, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like, so why would you need those outputs? What Do you use those outputs for anything? I don't use my outputs for anything, but that's because I only have, currently I only have one pair of studio monitors. And I have, the only reason I have one pair, it's not that I don't want another, it's that I have no room for more than my one pair of monitors. But Yeah, that, it's probably for the better. Save yourself some some cash. <laughs> exactly. But that that is what those other outputs are for. They're... I mean, for two main things and that come to mind, it's for additional monitoring outputs. And the second thing is uh, external gear or external sources. So, yeah. Yep, absolutely. And that, that's exactly it, external, external anything that you want to do. Like, for example, you may want to take outputs to a mixer. Like, um, whatever, like you're running a mixer in a studio, right? And you want to take a You've bunch of an outputs SSL. and route them. Right. No, not an SSL. I'm <laughs> saying like for your band, like, uh, you know, you got a little live mixer. Like, for example, you want to get... Um, oh, Yamaha. That's what we're talking. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> what? You don't have, you've never used a mixer? I'm talking about like for like oh, a yeah. live thing. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking. I'm just, I'm yeah, just making like, fun. Yeah, like say, say you're doing even a, like you could use it for a live show, for example. You could take like a couple of channels out from a recording, right, and like route them to a mixer during like a live show or something like that, right? I like how my brain went to the hundred thousand dollar mixer instead of the affordable hundred dollar one. Yeah, you gave me the. <laughs> yeah, you gave me the like uh, I'm the one percent look or something like. Yes, I'm, the uh, not DIY recording guy's answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, so you can do any number of things with that. You can create like auxiliary mixes. You can send that to another interface, for example. I don't know why you would do that, but you could do that. You could send stuff anywhere you want. So yeah, some interfaces will have multiple outputs. You could also have digital outputs. Like you might have like an ADAT or a SPDIF are some of the digital connectors. And again, that is digital. So your device on the other side has to be looking for digital as well. All right, so that's outputs. We talked about output uh, inputs. We talked about preamps. We talked about outputs. I want to talk a little bit about phantom power. Most of you probably know what phantom power is already. It's typically something that's selectable for each channel. You can either turn it on or turn it off. Ben, what is phantom power? Basically a button that you can hit that sends power, 48 volts in particular, through your microphone connection and it's used to power microphones that need a power source and this is typically typically any kind of condenser microphone needs 48 volts to power them right condenser microphone requires like a, a voltage across it's basically like a like a capacitor uh, there's a capacitance effect that's being measured that's how the microphone works and that that um, requires kind of like a bias voltage so yeah, you turn that on, uh -huh. and it provides that voltage to your microphone. Um, and I've I've seen people like it's a light, right? The, usually it's a light, and I've seen people like recording a DI off their instrument. No, you have like, it. I'm just gonna turn phantom power on because it's it's a light plus forty eight. It sounds like a bonus. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that. So you don't need to do that. The only time you need. Phantom, there's a couple of cases where you need phantom power. Ben mentioned one of them, which is when you have like a condenser type microphone that needs phantom power, but not always. For example, I have a condenser microphone that has its own power supply. So it comes oh. with a big honking box and you got to plug that box into the wall. And I do not need phantom power for what that microphone, microphone is that? because it's uh, 47, WA47 from Warm Audio. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And I'm guessing that's why Phantom Power was developed because it was just annoying to have a bunch of boxes laying around, heavy boxes to supply power to these microphones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In this case, I guess, I don't know, they want their own like reliable power supply. Oh, okay. There's a, Interesting. There's a big tube in that microphone. I don't know the details, but uh, it gets hot. I know it gets really hot when uh, when you're working with it, which is which is cool. I like when stuff gets hot. For some reason, it makes me feel makes me feel better. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's so not all condenser microphones require, it, but most do. Dynamic microphones do not require it, uh, and ribbon microphones you can actually ruin a ribbon microphone if you put phantom power to it. So in general, keep your phantom power off, yeah, unless you need it. There is one other case where you may need it. Some devices like the cloud lifter, uh huh. Uh, actually, you have this, don't you? Yes. And that requires phantom power. So even though like I'm using a dynamic microphone right now to talk to you, that microphone is plugged into a little device called a cloud lifter. And then that the output of that cloud lifter is connected 
to my interface. And I do need phantom power to make that cloud lifter work. The cloud lifter is like a little pre preamp. It basically takes, it uses that phantom power to create a little mini amplifier because the microphone I'm using, as you know, Ben, takes a ton of gain to work. So the cloud lifter does some of that work. It says, I'm going to boost this signal a little bit. And then the preamp doesn't have to do as much work. And yeah. um, if you're using a device like that, the, the phantom power is actually not being passed through to the microphone. It's just being used by that little cloud lift lifter device. I feel like that was specifically made for the SM7B, the cloud lifter. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it even coming, I think on like Sweetwater, it's a bundle. Like if you if you put a SM7B into your cart, they'll be like, hey, get it packaged with a cloud lifter for only X yeah. dollars more. <laughs> I think also too, um, you can use this in combination with ribbon microphones as well to get extra yes. level. So that, it, it still makes me nervous though because I have, so my second interface, I have two interfaces combined through ADAT and the second interface is a cheaper one and there's just one single button that turns on the phantom power for all eight channels. Mm. So I'm very careful about like, sometimes my miking array, I guess, is very odd. Like I'll have the kick in port number eight and then the snare is in two and they're all like combined in weird ways because I'm trying to keep the ribbon microphones away from the phantom power or you know what yeah. I'm saying? So, cause I'm just nervous. It only takes one button to like mess up something. Yeah, and I think a lot of the modern ribbon mics actually wouldn't get ruined, but I hear you. Like, why why risk that, right? Mm -hmm. why, why even mess with it? So that's a good point. I mean, actually, the cloud lifter would serve like a, a, a safety buffer then since it doesn't pass phantom power. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So the next thing we want to talk about is all the things that are interfaces that you probably don't know are interfaces. I'm excited I, about this. I'm interested. I found like three or four in my studio. I thought actually, I don't know, wait, wait a minute. I think four. <laughs> four. Four interfaces besides the interface that I'm actually using as my interface. And so this is like, you know how everything is also like a video camera? Like every cell phone is also a video camera yeah. and your Xbox Connect and your laptop. Everything is a digital camera. It's kind of like that with a lot of audio devices now. And so let's talk through a couple. So what are what are some surprise interfaces you have that you didn't know you had? Oh, don't start with me. I, I want to hear what you got first. <laughs> All right. <laughs> One of the first times I ran into this was with my uh, amp modeler. I have a Line 6 HD500X amp modeler. It's like a little floor modeler. Ah. And so I noticed when I was recording, like this was back five years ago, I was recording with it and I was like, huh, this thing has a USB output. And I know I plugged it into my computer and it was like, oh, this is now taken over as my interface. I was like, that's very interesting. I didn't know I could do that because I was just, I thought I was just going to take an analog output from my digital modeler and plug it into my inter my regular interface and do it that way. And so I had this interesting dilemma because I have this device now that could act as an interface and my thought process I'm curious to know what you think about this, but my thought hmm. process was this. I'm plugging my guitar into this amp modeler. The amp modeler is con converting my signal to digital, and then all of its processing is digital. So now I'm digital, 
Now if I convert back to analog and then go through a cable into my interface, I have like an extra analog to digital conversion in there. Oh, yeah. And is that bad versus I could just use the modeler as my interface and I'm already digital the only once. I only have to convert to digital one time and then I can go right into my computer. And I tried both ways. I I did a shootout okay. both ways. I didn't notice a huge difference, to be honest with you. And to me, I ended up using, I ended up going with the double conversion method because it was just a pain, pain in the ass, as you know, to switch oh, interfaces and confuse your computer, especially on a PC. But um, yeah, have you ever, have you ever thought about that? I think I have thought about that before. And so my only dilemma would be, and I haven't done a shootout like you, but my only dilemma would be you know, you're only going to be as good as the weakest part of your signal chain. So what point is that? It's either having another cable to go through, that's either the weak point, or the weak point is the uh, analog to digital conversion that's happening from the, the Line 6 device. Is that as high a quality as your interface? Exactly. That was exactly my thought, and I don't know the answer. <laughs> I think thankfully, because you couldn't hear the difference, that what that essentially means is maybe even cheaper converters are good now. Right. And I think that that I think that is that is true across the board. Like you'll find people on on GearSlut's forum that will be arguing about well, if you're if you're serious about audio, you won't spend any less than two grand on an audio interface. But at the same time though, like if you played if you played material that was recorded on a quality, you know, 2i2, and that's mixed professionally, those same people are not going to be able to tell a difference. Right. Yeah, I agree with you. So that that's my first uh, surprise surprise audio interface that I didn't know. I didn't know I was buying an audio interface. I thought I was just buying an amp model. Or what that's do you That's interesting. I don't know if I have anything, honestly that isn't an actual audio interface. Oh, really? I bet you'd be surprised. Yeah, I don't... Like, like I'll give you another example. My key, my, I have a synth. My M, I have an M Audio Venom synth that I, like, almost never use anymore. It has a USB output as well, and then I noticed it has a microphone input. So it has a little preamp built in, and I can use that as an interface <laughs> if I wanted to. What? That's bizarre. Look at yours. I, I guarantee you have something. And then I f I'll give you another example, which is my most surprising example. I have, so, well, my keyboard example, it's not an interface, but um, the funny thing about that is it's the most expensive instrument I have in my studio. And I bought it because I, I it's a workstation. And I thought, oh, I'm going to get all these great sounds out of it. So I'm going to connect it line level to my interface. Mm -hmm. And what I realized is, is I'm really lazy about finding all the different sounds in my workstation and I actually like it better as as a MIDI keyboard. It's a MIDI controller. I know. So I just That's... hook it up as a MIDI controller. Yeah, but I bet I'm oh, man, look at I'm it. willing to bet that thing is an interface. I'm willing to bet it's got a USB output and you could plug your guitar into it or something like that. Now, I don't think that this one does, but I mean okay. it's a workhorse for sure, but yeah, it's not an interface. Well, then I stand corrected. <laughs> My other surprise one is um, 
I I have a guitar. My guitar amp my is a PV sixty five oh five MH. That has a freaking USB jack on it. Interesting. And so what that means, you know, you could argue whether that's a true interface or not, but what that means is that I can plug my guitar into it and then I can get a digital signal out of that preamp and I can record that preamp signal digitally, which I've never done, but that's crazy to me. Like, I, you know, that's kind yeah, of cool. Yeah, that is a little, and that is really I cool. I think the moral is like, pay attention to what you have. If you have a mm-hmm. really kind of skin and bones setup you might have a keyboard that you could plug a microphone into and you might not need an additional interface as long as you have a way to like listen back to your audio that's recorded um but yeah i was I'm, you know i'm really surprised at the number of things that have ad and da converters in them is kind of uh it's kind of interesting it's definitely getting more it's kind of like the genres in music. They're kind of all becoming hybrids now, and I'm, I'm noticing with gear. <laughs> yeah. Now, I think I did mention this to you before. So this is the only thing that kind of approaches being an interface. It's not an interface, but there's some weird digital hybrid stuff going on. But I have a dark glass pedal. It's the Alpha Omega. And yep. it has a USB connection in it. And what the USB connection does is you can load impulse responses into this pedal... And so there's some kind of digital impulse response happening in the signal chain that you could send through the the direct output, which is very cool. Yeah. So I guess you get into the question of like, what is the definition of an interface? Because you're right, like that is a very purpose-built device, even though it clearly has some kind of digital capability in it. I don't, I don't know, would you go as far as calling that an interface? No, I wouldn't. I mean, yeah. it's using it's using some digital technology to get an analog result, but it's not it's not converting my whole signal like an oh, interface it's not, would like do. You couldn't you couldn't plug that into your computer, say, and just get the. No, it won't capture through USB. Okay, all right, that's definitely not an interface then. So yeah, forget. no, it's definitely it's definitely not an interface, but it it does pass that smell test as far as. That's a kind of cool feature that maybe, I mean, I I don't even use the full capabilities of it because it comes with 10 impulse responses that sound good, but you can build your own IRs and install into that pedal and then not even use a cab. Yeah. And I'm going to, you're right. It is, it is cool. And I'm going to go back on my word there about the amp because the the amp is a one way, it's a one way train. Basically you can only convert your signal to digital and get it into your computer, you can't like come back and then plug your headphones into it or like, a, could you? Oh, I don't man. think so. You couldn't come back out, I don't think. In other words, you might, it might have a headphone jack, but that's still coming from the amp head itself. It's not coming back from the DAW, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I guess it's not a true interface, but maybe, uh, I, I guess the the moral is like, beware of things that already have AD converters and maybe do some shootouts. Maybe see if the converters sound good already or if you prefer to use your interfaces converters, uh, kind of see if if you can, maybe you can't tell the difference and then it's whatever's easiest, right? In the years that uh, Vadim and I were growing up and in learning audio and working our, on our pedal boards, all multi-effects pedal boards sucked. 
Like they were a good they were a good way to kind of figure out like, oh, I think I think I might be into phasers. Or I might be <laughs> or I might be into octave pedals. But it really was like they just sucked at doing anything well, but they kind of gave you a couple cool sounds or something like that. But really you had to invest in more expensive boutique pedals that did a specific thing to get good sounds out of them but now like the opposite is true and a lot of these like multi-effects units that are coming out now they're they are interfaces in and of themselves and they're meant to run not only like any effect you can think of but a whole show and a whole band out of just like a single unit so that's kind of exactly what you're talking about i don't have one of them i kind of want like uh neural dsp you know, <sighs> yeah. quad core, whatever the heck that thing is called. It that looks amazing. Crazy, yeah. But you've also, the first thing was Axe Effects. That was the first iteration of that kind of a thing. And then you had Kemper and then Line 6 did their own Helix thing. So they're becoming more and more popular. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm wondering how popular they're going to be. Like eventually with Thunderbolt, like are people just going to be playing through plugins in general? Like are you oh, going to need a modeler? You know what I mean? I don't know like what the future there is, but clearly Neural DSP has has made the investment into hardware. Uh, so that that tells me something because they're they're definitely leading the pack on on modeling, and uh, that says something that they're like made made such a heavy investment into hardware development. So who knows? Yeah, yeah, very true. Cool, man. Well, uh, that's pretty much all I have. Just a little recap. It's sometimes nice to refresh ourselves on these basic concepts and make sure that we're not recording our guitar DI with the phantom power engaged for plus 48 bonus points. Yeah. Do you want to say <laughs> anything about jitter or clock stuff? Because you mentioned that earlier, and I, I think that that would be something um, that would be worthwhile touching on. Yeah, the only thing I'll say there is, uh, so the, the concept of a clock is is it basically keeps a digital device honest. So it tells a digital device how often to take a sample, right? Because digital is all discrete points. And so the only time a, you have to even think about a clock in your setup is if you're using more than one digital device tethered together. Which right? I am. That's the only, right, and I am as well. And actually... Uh, that's when it becomes important because if you think about it, you have these two digital devices, they each have their own clocks. It's like you and your friend each have your own watch and like they're approximately telling the same time, but they're not exact to the second, which is what we want when we're recording. We want the two digital devices to be exact to the second. So in that case, mm -hmm. anytime you're working with multiple digital devices, you pick one clock. It's like the old, let's synchronize our watches, right? You pick one clock, that's your master clock. And the other devices are your kind of the slaves is the term. So they all sync up to the master clock and they use basically the master clock is giving out its clock tick across the digital connection to the other devices. And then they're following that clock instead of their own clock. That's the only time it really you even have to think about it. You got anything yeah. to add on that? That's a great way of explaining it. I think... Visually is the best way that I like to think about this as well. And it might be because the first time I kind of figured out this or understood this concept was actually listening to gamers talk about refresh rates on their <laughs> monitors. Because it's yeah. kind of a, a good equivalator. Because you'll see a lot of gamers, they'll complain about, well, this game isn't 60 frames per second. And there's a there's a big difference between 60 frames per second and 60 frames per second locked. 
So you could potentially have a, a game that's delivering 60 frames every second, but let's just say that that uh, those first 10 frames are delivered in that first half of a second, and then the rest are delivered the second half of the second. So from an experience point of view, it looks really weird because they're not coming through in a consistent way. Mm. And so that kind of opened my, I guess just the light bulb went off and I thought, oh, this is very much the same as very much the same. What Absolutely. jitter is in an audio standpoint. Like you can have all these samples being taken being taken by a variety of, you know, combined digital interfaces at the same time. But if they're not consistent, it's gonna sound really weird whenever you go to manipulate the audio and and play it back. So yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and that's even that's even different. I mean, I guess you could have that issue with clock jit or even with a single digital device. True. Yeah. Um, if you have a an inf, like a bad clock or or something like that, um, that we, yeah, what you're talking about is like you might have instead of samples that are perfectly apart uh, time wise, some will be closer together and some will be farther together, and you can sometimes hear that as little weird artifacts. But for the sake of DIY recording. Most devices now have good enough clocks that you don't have to really think about that unless you're working with multiple digital yeah. devices uh, at the same time. I've I've also heard, and I don't want to get you know too off topic here, but maybe this will be like a last thing I'll say about it is, I've heard that as an argument for not recording at higher, like very high sample rates, because that jitter can be more of a problem whenever you're subdividing you know, all of your seconds of recording up at the smaller and smaller bits. It's just harder yeah. to get that to be consistent. Yeah, I've heard you mention that, and I thought that was really fascinating. So, yeah, that could actually, you know, I think a lot of the new interfaces go up to like 192 <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah, kilohertz or whatever. Um, and, yeah, your point was like, yeah, that's not necessarily better because you need a super stable clock to be uh, jitter-free at that at that kind of crazy sample rate. So it might actually sound worse. And um, yeah, that's, I think that's a great point. Cool, man. Well, I, I got nothing else to add. Good episode. Nice, short, yeah. and sweet. Good, uh, good recap. And until next time, it's the DIY recording guys reminding you to check yourself. Or you wreck yourself. If you're enjoying the podcast, take a minute to leave a rating wherever you like to listen to it or share it with your friends on social media. Also, Benjamin and I are working engineers and we love helping people turn ideas into finished productions. So if you're interested in working with one of us or just want to discuss a project you're working on, reach out. You can find my work at calmfrogrecording.com. Get me on Instagram at calmfrogrecording or shoot me an email vk at calmfrogrecording.com and you can check Benjamin's workout at dreamloudstudio.com hit him up on Instagram at dreamloudstudio or by email ben at dreamloudstudio.com and finally join our Facebook group to engage with a whole group of friendly like-minded people who are interested in DIY recording just search for DIY recording guys on Facebook thank you so much for listening and for your continued support see you next week.